So about November time, um, I read this passage in my quiet time, and I really was struck by the statement Jesus uh, made to his disciples, and he said, what do you have, or what's in your hand? And I shared it with our group. We have a group of uh, a couple dozen people in the church who are reading the New Testament together. So I shared it with that group online, and then in the next few days after that, we had a staff meeting, and I shared how this passage had really just touched me personally, and we discussed it. And so at some point, as I was planning messages for the winter season, I felt like it was a, a passage that the Lord would share with all of us. Um, so I planned that for today, and then I went to the Tuesday night home group this week, and they happened to be reading this exact passage. So there's like a convergence, and I'm excited, and I think this will... Um, really uh, encourage, I hope, many of us and give us strength. So this morning, I want to look at, we're going to look at the story of the 4,000 being fed, and I want to talk about making the best with what you have versus complaining with what we don't. Um, with very little faith and our obedience added, Jesus can do wonderful things. And if you are in a place this morning that you feel famished and confused I really believe that this story will be a parable for you, and you'll find a lot of encouragement and strength. So let's pray as we look at the Word, and we will be in Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Um, let's pray as we look over it. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, so find the red letters if you have a red letter Bible, and Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your provision for us. Not only do you enable us to be alive and experience things and taste things and have so many wonderful things that we have, but on top of all that, you show yourself to us. And we are grateful this morning. Lord, sometimes we're tired and hungry and confused as we try to follow you. I pray that you pour out grace this morning, fresh grace in, in, this, in this church and all that here online as we read this passage. Would you give us fresh grace that you are with us and that you're for us and that you have good plans for us, that you are a provider you are Jehovah Jireh. We invite you and welcome you. And I ask that you bear fruit this morning as we read your word. We bless you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is a story that's part of it is found in all four accounts of the gospel uh, and so it's neat in that not, not a lot of things are found in all four. A lot of stuff you'll find in Matthew and Mark, and a lot of stuff you'll find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but a lot of times you don't get overlap into the Gospel of John. This one does. So I think that's uh, maybe for a reason. But I want to just real briefly talk about the feeding of the 5,000, which is what happened just before this story. And we're going to be in uh, Matthew 15, verse 32 to start. 
But so this is the feeding of the 4,000. But just before that, um, just a quick recap for the sake of time, Jesus was preaching and he had amassed a large, large, large group of people and uh, they got hungry. They didn't have food. And uh, the question was, where, where are we going to, how are we going to feed all these people? They're far from Kroger and there's no Walmart near and Amazon is not delivering today. So how are we going to get food for all these hungry people? And Jesus said, well, what do you guys have? And they said, well, we have... Uh, Five loaves and two fish. So Jesus blessed it, a miracle occurred, and uh, 12 full baskets of food were picked up. Isn't that wonderful? Everyone ate, and they were filled. And as often happens, right after being fed by miracles, one moment later, we say, God, where are you? And that's exactly what happened in this story. So this is shortly after that story, that feeding of the 5,000 is the story of the 4,000. So we're in Matthew 15, verse uh, 32. I'm going to read a short part of this and then ask four questions. Jesus called his disciples to him. He said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they've remained with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. They might faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Well, where would we get so many loaves in such a desolate place to satisfy such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. He directed the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks, he broke them and he started giving them to his disciples. And then the disciples in turn gave them to the multitudes. And they all ate, they were satisfied, they pick, picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. Those who ate were 4,000 men, and there were also women and children. And he sent them away. And then we're going to skip down to 16, verse 5. The disciples came to the other side. They forgot to take bread. Now, you kind of think at this point, like, 5,000, he took care of them. 4,000, he took care of them. And here we are just a few verses later. And they forgot to bring bread. Maybe they were relying on the miracles. Who knows? And uh, so they began to discuss among themselves saying, I'm sorry. And then verse 6, Jesus said, watch out for the leaven, which is a bread making, uh, part of the bread making process. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing, it's because we took no bread. He said, you don't have any faith. What are you talking about that you have no bread? Verse 9, don't you yet understand with the five loaves and the 5,000, how many baskets you took up? Or with the seven loaves and the 4,000, how many baskets you took up? How is it that you don't understand? I'm not talking to you about bread. I'm talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So... I want to, this passage as I read it, and again, this all for me is um, very personal, like much of the things that I tend to preach, um, and then the Lord sometimes will spill those out to the greater church. So I want to ask us four questions that I think this passage asks us, and the first one is, are you, are you famished? Are you famished? Um, for some of us, maybe the best takeaway from this entire passage is that um, everyone swallow. You're going to get hungry following Jesus. You're going to feel famished. 
some of us, like, in this room hearing that, you just, you haven't reconciled that yet. That if you follow Jesus, that your life's not going to be all Disneyland. And here's the thing. You're in the wrong faith if you think that. Because following Jesus is going to eventually lead you to places that you don't understand. Where you are absolutely famished because you follow Jesus. Because you follow Jesus, you're going to get confused. He's not the author of confusion, but he's going to put you in places when you're going, to say, you're going to say, what in the world has happened to me? What in the world am I doing here? And so some of us this morning, we just need to like, hear that, that like, there's nothing wrong with you if you're struggling. There's nothing wrong with you if you're barely making it in your Christian walk. Maybe that's part of the journey to the cross. You know, Jesus he couldn't even carry the cross, remember? He fell over, and they got Simon to carry it for him. So that's a picture for us that sometimes it's hard, guys. It's really, really hard to do. We're doing something that's counterculture to everything else that's happening on planet Earth, following Jesus. So question one is, are you famished? Are you famished? Verse 32, I just want to pick it apart real quickly. Um, Jesus says a number of statements here I want to look at. One thing he says here is, he says, these people have remained with me for three days. So, again, just, this is the normative Christian experience. Like, the devotion to Jesus for these people had a cost. It meant that they were like, oh, we may not get food. What do I want more? Jesus or my food? What do I want more? Jesus or my sleep? What do I want more? Jesus or my wife? What do I want more? And that's a question. What do we want more? So, this idea that like they've remained with Jesus for three days, it, there's times that our remaining with Jesus is going to put us in this place. Are you famished? And then the next phrase, it says, we have nothing to eat. And this is kind of parallel with what I just said, but sometimes we just, you just spend yourself. You just spend yourself. Like if you're a Christian and if you're like haggard and beat down and you're like Martha and you're just waiting tables and just like serving and you have no joy in it, you probably need to address that. But if you're like faithful and you've been doing this for a year or five years or 10 years or 20 years or some people in this room 50 years and, and you're haggard, you know what? Like, great job. Like, you're still in. And sometimes we just, we just get hungry. And it's just the way it is. It's the sacrifice of following him. And then the next statement Jesus says, makes is he says, they might faint on the way. And I would just like say that that's a natural byproduct. Like the fact that we might get in a place in our faith where we feel like we might faint. If you're in this room right now or if you're watching online and you just feel like, I don't know if I can go on another day. Like this is just killing me. And I just feel like I might faint. You know what? Jesus is right there. Like he's right there with people. And here's a great thing. He notices. Like he notices, and that's the next part of this, which is the first part of this verse 32. He says, I feel compassion for the multitude. He knows that. And maybe this is your takeaway today. He sees your pain. He notices. He knows all your questions. They don't scare him away. All our failures, all our confusion, all our anxiety, all our lack of believing the Bible, every bit of it, guys. He sees us famished, hungry, about to faint. And his response is, I feel compassion. That's a Greek word. It's splachna, which means guts, literally. He says, I feel inside of me pain because these people are hurting, and I hurt for them. 
And that's a wonderful message, isn't it? Like to know that when you're barely making it, that the Lord is with you and for you. I had an experience um, a few years back that, <clears throat> that it was a hard experience for me. One of the hardest things I've ever gone through, and it was sustained for a long time. And um, <clears throat> I wrote this song. I think it's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. I put it on YouTube, actually, or uh, Facebook a couple a month or so ago. Timmy and I and a few others made a little demo. And the lyrics, I wrote this song out of just being up most nights at 2 or 3 in the morning, just racked with pain and anxiety for about a year or two. And that's not an exaggeration. And um, I lost like 15 pounds when I went through this, which I don't have to lose. I lost 15 pounds. Um, so I wrote this song, and it goes, um, You carry my load, you bear my burden, long after I would faint. You're stable and you're strong. You stand in my place, you take what I could not. You're steady and you're safe. It's who you are. It's who you are to love me, Jesus. And then verse 2 is, um, Here again alone, your company I take. I'm never on my own, because you have paved the way. You suffer here with me. You mend my broken heart. You always come beside. It's who you are. It's who you are to love me, Jesus. And, you know, for me, it was coming in, you know, I mean, sometimes maybe the best things come the worst times for us, but that was an expression for me of just being in a place of just absolute famish, absolute exhaustion, absolute feeling like I am going to faint. I'm, I cannot do this anymore. And, and then in the midst of that, and maybe we have to go through that to discover that right in the middle of that, the Lord says, I see everything you're going through, and I want you to know I feel compassion for you. I love you. I catch your tears in a bottle. I am right with you. In fact, I'm taking it for you, and I'm carrying it with you. So, are you famished? Verse 32. The next question is, are you confused? Verse 33. Look what they said. Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a great multitude, Lord? I mean, can you picture it? Like, he just fed 5,000 plus. And he says, golly, I don't want to send all this, these 4,000 away because they might faint. And they're like, geez, where are we going to get all this food? And again, we might find ourselves in a place, maybe you are today, where you're confused. And don't get like, it's, it's easy to look at them and be like, they have no faith. You know, didn't they just see 5,000 people fed? You know, and that's the whole thing about bewaring the teaching of the Pharisees. That's why I wanted to tack that part on in our reading today. Because what was the teaching of the Pharisees that he told them to beware? It was self-reliance and self-righteousness. And I think what he was telling them is like, this whole thing about bread I'm the bread of life. I will supply for you. I will take care of you. I'll take care of your sin. I'll, I will make you righteous. I'll provide bread for you. I will be with you. And that was the antithesis of what the established church at the time was saying. And so he says, he says beware of that. You don't want any part of that. There's something much better and different. 
And if we are like them and we're confused, you know, like, is it the best thing? No. But we get to places where we're often there. And it's okay. And, you know, you might say, well, I'm, I'm confused. And, uh, you know, here's the thing, guys. I think it's probably better to be confused than to have it all together. I really do. Because, you know, what? the people that had it all together, they didn't know they needed the hospital. Remember that? It's the people that knew they didn't have it all together that were like, I need something. Is Christianity a crutch? No, Christianity isn't a crutch. Christianity is an ambulance, and you're going to the ER, and you're dying. You got 10 seconds left. All right, forget the crutch. That's too small of a, like, Christianity is sal- salvation from sin through the shed blood of Jesus and the resurrection of the Savior. So if we find ourselves in a place that we're confused, and maybe you're right now, your proverbial statement is, God, where am I going to get food to eat? I mean, that's, some of us right now are saying that. You're not saying that. We're probably all well-fed. But you're saying, God, where the heck are you? And how are you going to provide for me? When are you going to do all these things that you said you were? What, all, what about all your promises? How am I going to get food to eat? And you know what? You're in a great place if you're in that place. Because your confusion will create in you a hunger. And that hunger will lead you to Jesus. If you let it. Which brings me to the third question. Amen. What's in your hand? So they get to this place and they say, Lord, we're here in the middle of nowhere. How are we going to feed all these people? And then Jesus says to them, the question of the hour. What's in your hand? And this is the question that I felt the Lord asking me when I read this again. It's funny. I've read the Gospels like probably 50 times. And, you know, isn't the word great? The word of God is so great. And I've read and read and read and read and studied this. And then God just spoke so poignantly into my life back when I reread this in my quiet time a few months back. And um, I just kind of stopped when I got to this part when he says, well, what do you have? So what's in your hand? And this is a question now I just want each of us to consider. What do you have? Not what don't you have. Not what do you wish you had. Not what does it look like for God to really be working in your life. Jeff. Or marriage. Or children. Or lack of children. Or lack of spouse. Or ministry. Or lack of ministry. Or money. Or lack of money. Or health. Or lack of health. We could go on forever on that train. The question is, what's in your hand. Everyone look at your hands. What's in your hand? Look at your hands. And everybody just think now. Let's just be a little silly. Look at your hands. Jesus comes to you in your wreck, in your famished, in your confused state, and you don't know what's going on. And he says, okay, I got a question for you. What do you have? What do you have? What do you have in your life right now, church? What do you have? What has he given you? What is happening? What is blessed? Not what's not, but what is. What's in front of you right now? What dough do you have to cook with? What clay do you have to make a pot with? Not what you don't have. Not what's at the store. Not what you can't afford. Not what he has and not what she has. And not what you dreamed you'd have. And not what Disney World told you you'd have. What do you have in your hand now? Because that's the question of our discipleship. And it stops there. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's what has God given to you.
So being the scholar that I am, I went and checked the Greek here. Verse 34, he says, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. Eeyore, seven and a few small fish. Lord, I've only been sober for one day. Lord, we've had three miscarriages. Lord, I've never been able to marry and I've tried over and over. Lord, I've, got, I've had five divorces. Lord, I have a terminal illness. What do you have? What do you have? So seven and a few small fish. So I went to the Greek, and I was astonished to learn that the word small in the Greek here, guess what it means? It means small. <laughs> the word fish is ichthus, which many of you know. It's the fish that we sometimes have on the back of cars, the super Christians. And uh, ichthidia is small fish. The, a better translation is petty fish. Petty like, it's not even like enough for like a snack. That's, that's an ichthidia. That's what they said. It's not a surprise that they said, that, see, they, they didn't just say seven and a few fish. They said seven and a few ichthidia. Okay, it's very important that they added that adjective, small. Because it speaks to our souls. Because you will never feel like you have enough. You won't. You'll never feel like you have enough. And guys, that's the point. That is the point. That is when we lean into Jesus. We lean into the Holy Spirit. We give ourselves up to him. What we have is going to seem very small compared to the need. Again, Think about your life. Maybe you're in your hands right now. You have very little money, a seemingly broken marriage, a terminal illness. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you're recently divorced. Maybe all your dreams went nowhere. Fill in the blank. Let me hit you with some knowledge. Moses stuttered, but Moses could still talk. It's something to think about, isn't it? He didn't talk well, but he talked, Right? David was little and young, and so little and young that he was forgotten when the prophet came and said, line up all your sons. They line them all up, and they forgot about it. Have you ever been forgotten? You know who didn't forget him? God. He was little and forgotten, but what did he have? He had a sling and a heart for God. Gideon was a nobody with a tiny army but he had faith. Peter was an uneducated fisherman, but he had a willing heart. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And he chooses the weak things of the world, the things that are not, things that are forgotten and broken, to do his work. And the more we can identify with that and be that, rather than it being about us being able to provide, we can move in the power of God. I like to think about this. John Wimber, who is one of the early leaders of the vineyard, he used the toolbox illustration, but I, my toolbox is, was buried. So I brought this. This is my tool belt. I did construction for four years when we started this church. This is my hammer. Some good tools for construction. A screwdriver is helpful. Level, very important. Very important. Your phone has one if you have an iPhone. 
Channel locks are incredibly important. These are incredibly useful. Every man needs them. Women too. You'll need a tape measure. Very important. Um, nail punch, nail set, also useful if you want things to look good. Here's an underappreciated tool on the construction site. Number two lead, a pencil. Now here's the thing though. Here's how Christianity works. We show up like this. And this is empty. How much of a fool would I appear if I showed up on the job with an empty tool belt? I'd look like an idiot, wouldn't I? What are you going to do? You don't even have a hammer. Well, guys, here's the thing. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? And here's what, you know what you can show up with? You can show up without any tools and anything in the box but a hungry heart that says, Jesus, I must have you more than all that, more than all my skill, all my dreams, all my things that I want. And you know what? If you've got all that and no tools, you can build a mansion. Because as is often said, Jesus plus one person is the majority every time. He will do the impossible. He will do a miracle. What is in your hand? When this church started, we had zero dollars. We had zero income. I was not ordained. We had no people. We had no announcement. We had no chairs. We had no sound system. We had no money. We had no income. I had no health insurance. It was a really bad decision, wasn't it? <laughs> but the Lord made a way for us, and he built his church. In 2016, when we moved into this beautiful facility that we renovated, we were so happy because we reserved $30,000 in our bank account as a church, and we had $30,000 going into this. Everything was done and paid for. Some of you guys remember this awful story. And we are like, $30,000 reserve. We got it done. The mortgage was actually only $100 more than our rent in that other hole that we were meeting in, you know, where I was up. Like, I was in the rafters on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. or p.m., like, putting fuses to get the air conditioner to try to kick back on over there. So we move in here, and we had $30,000, and they came to do the final inspection, and the, the marshal came, and he, uh, the fire marshal, and he, he failed us because we did not have adequate fire protection. And uh, it's a long story. We didn't need it, but a building burned down in Richmond County, uh, and somebody died, tragically. And we were the first inspection after that tragedy. So they said, we're going to... So even though we got our plans approved with Richmond County and we didn't need all that, they said, well, we now have the right. You know, it's kind of like an easement on your property. Like, we can take this if we want. You can grow your flowers there, but if we ever want it, we're taking it. So they came in and they said, you're going to have to do this. And we got an estimate, and it was $29,600. $29,600. And I had already moved a lot of stuff in. I had hung all the banners and everything. Like, we were ready to go. So I made a really depressing. I remember Casey's like, I can't watch any more of your depressing church videos. <laughs> I, like... I made this really depressing, it was depressing. I was like over in that corner, like I was just like defeated. And I had to like tell the whole church, hey, we're not moving after all. We got to wait, like, go a few more months and maybe raise some more money. 
So we delayed it two months, and we finally did get in here. And um, this is a secret that not many know. When we did finally move into this facility, we did not have $30,000 in savings. We had, there was literally $12 in our church checkbook and nothing in our savings. It's kind of dumb, isn't it? It's not what we planned, okay? They didn't plan to go out there and all get hungry, but God was just doing such great stuff that in the midst of it all, they're like, God's working. We're, there's no food. And if you follow Jesus, that should happen to you. If it's not, I would challenge your faith because following him is not a comfortable thing often. And I remember sitting in that office looking at the checkbook saying, well, okay, here we go. Here we go. And uh, God's blessed us. Hasn't he blessed us, guys? And just like, you know, I'm closing here. A flicker of hope can burn into a bright fire in your life. Whether it's a marriage that's falling apart, whether it's a faith that is seemingly shipwrecked, I love that description of Jesus when they're talking, I think it's with John the Baptist, and they're describing Jesus, and they pull this out of the Old Testament, and they say, you know, a bruised reed, in other words, a, a, a stick that's cracked, he's not just going to rip in two. And then it says, a, a dimly lit wick, he does not extinguish. And I, I just get this picture of Jesus, like when we're that dimly lit wick that's just out, but it's got a little ember. Like, he doesn't blow it out. He sees us. He has compassion on us. He has compassion on your marriage that's failing, your faith that's failing, your health that's failing, your hope that's failing, whatever struggles you and I are going through. And he takes that candle, and he just very gently blows. If you very gently blow an ember, it starts to glow brighter and brighter. And I just see, you know, that passage, a dimly lit wick, he won't blow out. Instead, he kindles it. And I think this is what he does to us. You can do it. You can get back on fire. I'm going to help you. He blows, and he blows, and he nurses us back, and he takes care of us in all our sin and failure and unbelief. And before long... From what was just in our hands, everyone look at your hands again, what's in your hands, God does a miracle. Sometimes that miracle leads you to the cross. Sometimes it leads to 5,000 being fed. The end of the story is, in verse 36, in my Bible, I underlined, or I circled rather, he took their loaves What did he do? He broke it. He broke the he broke he then broke their loaves, which is great because breaking it shares and then it multiplied and a miracle happened. But you know what? Sometimes you gotta get broke, guys. Sometimes you gotta get broke. What did we do this morning over here and here? We celebrated the broken body of Jesus our Savior. And we identified as we took in the elements with his brokenness, that by his stripes and his pain and his brokenness, we are healed. That is the great stumbling block of the Christian faith. If we cannot swallow that, we aren't in, because we must be saved. So let's stand.
What's in your hand? And point four, 